So if you have young children or you've ever had young children, uh, or if you've ever had young grandchildren, you will know that little children don't always grasp the nuance of expressions. And many years ago, when Kristen was probably about four years old, she was getting ready. We were going out, and, and I was ready. I was taking her off somewhere. Uh, and in the process of getting ready, like so many four-year-olds do, she was just taking her time. She was getting distracted by all sorts of things. And, you know, it was just hard work trying to get a pair of shoes on my daughter. And so she's kind of taking her time and, and I'm trying to call her. And at some point I kind of called out, Kristen, come, we need to get going. Uh, and so she responds like most four-year-old kids in that instance. And she goes, I'm coming. And I sort of kind of responded by going, well, so is Christmas. And I realized very quickly this was completely the wrong thing to say. Kristen's face just lit up and there was that expression of joy. Christmas is coming. And unfortunately, it was still months to go until Christmas. But you know what? Christmas elicits this kind of response in children. Children look forward with anticipation. Children are excited for Christmas. There's gifts coming. There's family, there's food, there's fun, there's holidays and, and, and everything that kind of goes around with Christmas, not to, all the not to mention all the commercial excess and all of that. But while we think about it as a holiday, the reality is Christmas is a holy day. It's that time of year when we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ came to earth, that God took on flesh and came and walked among his creation. In Christmas time, we have that season of Advent, and we've just had Advent a couple of months ago. And, and as we went through Advent, the reminder is Advent means coming. And it's that time where we reflect and remember that Christ came to earth. But we don't only stop and remember as I mentioned during last Advent season, we also remind ourselves that Jesus is coming again. And so at Christmas time, we might have fun, we might remember, we might reflect, but there's also this reminder that just as Jesus once came to earth, so he will be coming again. And of course, you might be kind of going, well, Brian, uh, why are you talking about Christmas and Advent? We are currently in the season of Lent. We're in that season as we work towards Easter. Well, you can't have one without the other. Uh, you cannot have Easter. You cannot have the cross of Jesus Christ without Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. The two go together. And so for the next couple of weeks, as we work towards Easter, that's going to be the journey that we take. Today, we're picking back up in the book of Luke. Uh, if you've been with us for a little while, you'll know that we were doing a series through the book of Luke. And a number of months ago, we paused. And that wasn't by accident. That was an intentional and deliberate pause because we realized that through the book of Luke towards the end, it focuses on Easter. And so it just makes perfect sense to use Luke as we work towards the Easter weekend. And so uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're diving back in to Luke. If you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 21 today. Uh, and I'm reading the whole chapter. So it's a little longer than normal. Hopefully we'll have the words up for you to follow along. Or if you have your own Bible, I'm going to read from the NIV 
for Luke 21. So if you've got that, you can turn there as we read through together. Luke 21 says as follows. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, They asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world, 
for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Luke 21 is a lengthy chapter and a a lengthy portion, but it's Jesus' teaching on his second coming. It's that reminder as we read through it that yes, Jesus came, but Jesus is coming again. And if I may quote Arnold Schwarzenegger's immortal line from The Terminator, I'll be back. Jesus is coming again. So here's the question. When we read a passage like that, when we are confronted with this idea that Jesus is coming back, well, do we long for Christ's return? If I can go back to that image of Christmas is coming with my child, as much as my child or all children long for Christmas to come, can we say that we long more for Christ to come again? Do we long for Jesus' coming again as, as much as we might long for better health or a special meal or a good friend's company? Or what about this? How shall we live in the certainty that Jesus is coming again? You know, when I read through this passage, I think Jesus gives us three directions for his original disciples that are applicable for us as well. They ring true for us to pay attention to. And the first thing Jesus tells or says to his disciples in relation to him coming again is he says, watch for the signs. You know, Jesus teaches his disciples to be on the watch for the signs that his return is drawing ever nearer. Early on in this chapter, Jesus mentions wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Later on, Jesus shifts the focus to the signs at the end of the age, where Jesus speaks about sun, moon, and stars doing weird things. And of course, we know that the sun and the moon affect even our tides, or they affect life on earth. So those changes certainly will impact and bring disaster, like hurricanes or tsunamis. Jesus speaks of the roaring of the sea, of nations in anguish and perplexity. 
And then he, he speaks of this final sign is the coming of the Son of Man. It's a character first described in the Old Testament book, the book of Daniel. And just a, a quick kind of advert or, or trailer of what's coming. We're going to be diving into the book of Daniel after Easter. And I'm, I'm excited for just the content and, and the, the prophecy and the pictures and the images in that book of Daniel. But Daniel introduces us to this image of the Son of Man. Listen to these words recorded in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Does that not sound a little bit like Jesus? You know, in verse 27 of Luke 21 that we've just read, Jesus states his return will be with great power and glory as he returns in the clouds. And when he returns, everyone will know judgment has come. But Jesus doesn't mean for this to be a terrible thing, although I'm pretty sure we're all going to be terrified at the experience. Jesus says for the believer, for his disciples, for his children, it's not judgment time, it's redemption time. And this is why we can lift our heads up as he comes for us. And this is why we can look out for those signs. And of course, Jesus gives this little object lesson of the fig tree in the midst of it. And he says, just as we can tell that spring and summer are to come, as the fig trees and the other trees start to bloom and and give in this new growth, Jesus says, well, we can look to the signs and see as well. Each sign points to Jesus' certain return. Now, what does it mean to watch for the signs of Christ's return? Well, I tell you what it does not mean is it does not mean we're supposed to come up for the exact time and date of Christ's return. You know, Jesus himself said, no one, not even the Son, no one knows, the angels don't know. There is no one on earth or in heaven other than God the Father who knows when Christ will return. Yet for some strange reason, people have tried to predict Christ's return over and over and over through history. And every single time, they've been wrong. So if somebody comes to you and says, I know when Jesus is returning, don't even listen for a moment. That is garbage. And this is not what Jesus means when he says, look for the signs. Don't try and read into them. Don't try and put dates to them. Not at all. What Jesus does mean is we're to observe world events with his words in the back of our minds. So instead of giving in to hysteria or anxiety when something terrible happens, like a tsunami or, or an earthquake or a wildfire or anything like that, yes, we grieve the loss. Yes, it moves us. And yes, we respond and we go and offer aid and we help those with disaster relief But in the midst of those things happening, we still remain hopeful because we know that God is ultimately in control. That no matter how bad it might seem and and no matter how bad the experience might be, Jesus is reminding us 
He will come again. Every hardship, every struggle can remind us of Jesus' imminent return. He is coming again. So firstly, we watch for signs. But instead of just staying in that position of watching for signs, the second thing Jesus tells us is we live with purpose. You know, one of the phrases in Luke 21 that just seems to get so much attention among scholars and and those who engage with Scripture uh, is when Jesus says in verse 32, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, Jesus said this in around A.D. 30. Luke possibly recorded or wrote it down in around A.D. 60. Uh, And that was when that generation was coming to an end. And Jesus didn't return then. So what exactly did he mean? What's up with this promise here? We know that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, the verse right before that we've just mentioned does talk about that, but not this one, not when Jesus is speaking about this generation. There are a number of possibilities, to be sure. The word we translate as generation could be used to describe a race. For example, the Jewish people. So possibly Jesus is saying that the Jews will be around until the end times. Now, That's possible, but probably doubtful since that use of the Hebrew word is is really rare. Maybe Jesus was talking about the wicked human race. That's another possible interpretation of that word. Uh, That word of speaking about a wicked group of people. And maybe Jesus is saying that the human race will not escape judgment. And maybe there's merit to that, but, but I still kind of think that's a bit vague. Possibly, and and one that I might lean more towards, is that Jesus is talking about when these things take place as signs of the imminent end time uh, or the imminent return of Christ. What Jesus is saying is these things will happen so quickly, the generation that experiences it won't pass away before its its end. They will be alive to see it to the end. Now, again... Regardless of its meaning, Jesus' call to believers is the same. Every generation is called to live with purpose. We're not supposed to become spiritually lethargic or, or spiritually overfed to no purpose. We have a purpose on this earth. You know, when God brought us together in Christ and, and created this thing that we now call church, the, the congregation, the people of God, Debate has raged for centuries about what is the purpose of the church. And I love the synthesis that kind of took place during the 17th and 18th century, uh, particularly by Baptists who discussed and debated this topic. And there was a a synthesis to realize that one aspect is worship. The church is here to worship God. We're here to glorify God. And the other side, almost of the same coin, is that the church is here to proclaim the gospel. The church is here to go and make disciples, to bring those who do not know God or do not know Jesus as Savior into this fold so that they might worship. Worship and witness. And so Jesus says, live with purpose as you wait for my second coming. 
Don't just sit and wait. Go out and live in that vein of worship and of proclaiming the gospel. Don't be spiritually lazy. Jesus says in verse 34, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. We're supposed to be ready. As though Jesus could come at any moment. We're supposed to look expectantly. In a sense, we live with one foot in this world and we serve and we do all that needs to be done. But at the same time, we live with our other foot in eternity. And so we, we share our faith. We, we share as good witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives. We keep our hope and our faith in Christ who will not forget us. He will neither leave us nor forsake us. He will return for us again. Oh, how this might change the course of our worry as we start to live in light of eternity and in light of Jesus coming again. You know, we might go through terrible experiences. We might go through events that, that really shake us or that hurt us and that upset us and anger us. And, and maybe there are times when we can pause and go, well, will this make a difference in a year from now? Will this make a difference in five or 10 or 50 years? And the chances are high that they won't. And so we don't live dwelling and focusing and obsessing. We realize that Christ is coming again and we make our lives count. We live on purpose. And we invest in eternity by investing in our relationship with God and our relationship with people. So we live on purpose. And then lastly, Jesus calls on his disciples lastly and he says, pray. Pray. In verse 36, Jesus says, Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now Jesus tells his disciples in today's verse that they should pray that they would be able to escape all that is about to happen. And certainly we know that we often pray for things to go a certain way and sometimes for God's reasons and God's purpose, our prayers don't go the way we want them to. And even there, Jesus reminds us that he's with us in the midst of that hardship. And so, yet Jesus still says, pray. Pray that you will escape this trauma and this tragedy. And pray that, that you will not only be able to escape it, but pray that you would be able to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. And what Jesus is saying is for his disciples, they will be able to stand. You know, I, I think about famous people that I've met. I, I think about celebrities that I've met. Many years ago, when I was still a student working in a restaurant back in South Africa, we had an event for a number of heads of state, where there were a number of presidents, including our own president, at this function. And I remember kind of just being sort of in awe of, of these statesmen in the room and, and kind of, you know, carrying the trays and the food and the drinks and, and trying to not bump into people and things like that. And Jesus says, in the sight of the Son of Man, we will be able to stand. Not because of our own merit, not because we've earned it, not because of what we've done. We will stand because of God's good grace to us. Grace we receive in Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrated last week when we had communion. We remind ourselves that we, we receive life in Christ. 
We receive grace through Jesus Christ. And so when we gather around that communion table and when we share the body of Christ given for us and the the blood of Christ shed for us, we do so looking back, but we also do so looking ahead because we know Christ will come again. He told his disciples he will drink and eat of this in the kingdom of God with us again. And so Jesus says, pray, pray. Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, Brian, that's all fine and well. And yes, we look for the signs. Yes, we live on purpose. Yes, we pray. But what about those few verses at the beginning of chapter 21 about the poor widow putting all of her wealth, those two copper coins, into the treasury, giving her offering? What do we do with that little portion? Well, I believe those few verses are a a lot less complicated than what we try and make them out to be. I've heard preachers use that portion of Scripture to speak about tithing and giving. And while you could use it there, that passage has nothing to do with tithing or giving. Don't get me wrong, stewardship is a biblical idea. The Bible speaks about giving and giving into the house of God. I get that. But that's not what the focus is here. The focus there with this widow, the image Jesus is giving because he's about to go into speaking about him coming again is simply in light of life, in light of our journey through this thing called life here on this earth and in light of Christ coming again, where will we place our faith and our trust? Because the reality is the overwhelming majority of people will put their faith and trust in themselves. And they will put their faith and trust in their own wealth. And they will cling to their wealth. And Jesus says, no, I invite you to trust me. Trust me with everything you have. Trust me with all that you are. Because I will care for you and I will provide for you and I will redeem you. And so Jesus tells or or sees the story, sees what's taking place and uses it to remind us, even though we might seem to be poor by the world's standards, even though we may not have much or have what we want at any rate, and Jesus says, trust me, trust me with what's coming, trust me with what's happening. Because when we learn to trust Jesus Christ, then when we go through these trials and tribulations and these experiences that lead towards Christ's return, we won't be derailed by them. We won't lose our faith in the middle of them. We will be able to stand in the presence of the Son of Man because our faith is in the Son of Man and our faith is not in ourselves. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready for his return? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your somber words about the end times. God, I ask, help us to to pay attention to them, to heed them, to, to watch for the signs, to look out for them, to live lives on purpose in the midst of them and to be people of prayer, people who pray to you and who bring all their concerns and cares to you. And let us live every day in light of your return. Let us live each day as though that is the day you're coming again.
Help us, God, to hold on to the things of this world lightly and loosely, knowing they will pass away. Help us, Lord, like that poor widow, to learn to trust in our Heavenly Father, not in our own selves, our own hands, our own wealth to provide, but to trust in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who offers life to us and life eternal. Remind us, God, that as exciting as life is, as awesome as this planet is, as as awesome as the experience might be from time to time, remind us that life is fleeting on this earth. And we're preparing for eternity in your presence. And you've assured us and you've promised us that you are coming again. Help us to live with faith and in light of that, to trust you. And then as we do that, God, help us to go out and to proclaim and to share our faith and to share the love of Jesus with those who do not know so that they too would be able to stand when you come again. Jesus, thank you for your words. Holy Spirit, help us to walk in them. For your kingdom and your glory's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen.